Welcome back to Pulp Friction. It's a show about what divides us. My name is Rocky. Sam's name is Sam. Eddie's name is Eddie. And uh, this is episode 50 of the podcast. Woo! Yeah! Hi! Yay! Woo! Uh, I think it was episode 30 that we did our Homestuck roundtable where I, we had three guests, three esteemed Homestuck experts on, and I, having never read Homestuck, uh, was the moderator. Um, this is episode 50. I want to do something big again. So th this week we are joined by two of the foremost Riverdale experts uh, that I'm aware <laughs> of. <laughs> and. And I, in case, uh, in case this is a surprise, I have not seen Riverdale. So, <laughs> oh my God, out of context, <laughs> be absolutely bonkers to you. <laughs> but then, to be fair, even with the context, episode. it's bonkers. <laughs> I I have not seen a, a single episode <laughs> of Riverdale. Uh, I'll get to it eventually. I want to see it with uh, someone who's passionate about it uh, to get the full experience. But um, yeah, I've uh, prepared some notes on the history of Archie comics in film and television, some notes on the history of Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, and a little bit on how Riverdale came to be. Uh, but yeah, you guys are, are my, my Riverdale experts. Hell yeah. So uh, before we get into it, I'd like to hear a little bit from each of you about um, your relationship with Riverdale, how you got into it, that sort of thing. So for me, I a long, long, long time ago um, watched like one episode in the middle of like season like three. And I was like, this is so dumb. This doesn't make any sense. Why am I watching? This is cringy, right? And then the pandemic happened and I was like, I need something just silly and goofy to keep my mind off everything. And so... I started from season one, episode one, and I was just like, I take everything back that I said about Riverdale before. Like, this is like <laughs> camp. Like, this is this is art to the highest degree. And then I just became obsessed with it and watched like a hundred episodes every day. And I ended up in total watching everything they have on Netflix three times. Uh, I was pretty similar where I picked it up and put it back down. I actually remember really specifically watching the premiere of Riverdale, like the very first episode when it aired, because I grew up on like the Archie comics. Like those are one of the things that my dad used to teach me how to read. Um, like always above them. So I was like so excited to see my friend Archie on the TV and was very <laughs> upset with what they did to him because <laughs> I wasn't ready for it. I was too, I was right. too inexperienced. I was too young. And I watched probably like half, maybe two thirds of the first season as it was airing and put it down. Uh, the Jughead asexual discourse is too much for me as a 16 year old. Um, and then we can never forget that. Um, and then Let's I similarly... <laughs> Oh, I can't forget. Um, picked it back up when, during the pandemic and became completely obsessed with it. 
absolutely any like watched so much of it it was i literally made my professor let me write like 20 pages about how riverdale is camp um i think everyone should watch it i think it's the greatest thing ever made it literally is like the first like so uh, the time the reason why i watched it three times is because i watched it all the way through the first time just so i could see it and then the second time was an accidental rewatch <laughs> where i would just like be like hmm i kind of want to watch something i've already seen already that's like silly and weird so i'll just put on riverdale and i ended up watching it all over again a second time on accident just from doing that and then the third time was an intentional rewatch <laughs> where me and one of my friends who like would literally all we would do is they would come over we would lay in my bed and watch Riverdale on my laptop and then they would go home and it was literally like the best time ever (laughs) and they crocheted me this like pillow that has like the Riverdale like football logo on it (laughs) and like I don't know I think that's like the solid foundation for a friendship is just watching Riverdale together Really important. Mm-hmm. That is so great. Uh, my experience with Riverdale is obviously a little more foggy um, because I don't have the concrete <laughs> watching of it. Um, I feel like I was never against it, honestly. I feel like uh, when it was announced, I remember there being a lot of like people clowning on it, and I feel like I always sort of got what they were going for. Um. And, you know, never. <laughs> I, I guess I should have watched it at that point, but uh, <laughs> um, my history with Archie is, you know, it's just something, it's, it's one of those things where I feel like the lasting impact on pop culture is just that it exists. <laughs> and, you know, th- there have been these little um, bits of it. Uh, you know, at various points in in history, which I have that have that have uh, crossed over a little bit. Most of them haven't, but like, it's really just the fact that Archie was so big in the '60s and '70s is just sort of what's carried it over today. Um, and I remember one time in like, uh, I don't know, I was living in Baltimore for the summer. It must have been uh, like 2015, 16-ish, uh, and. I was at like a comic book shop and they had uh, like a trivia question where if you got it right, you you got a free comic. And the answer was Labyrinth, the Jim Henson movie. So I got that uh, question and they gave me this recent Archie comic that was like about time travel. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and I I feel like that was my first exposure to sort of the, uh, the state of Archie. So... Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess, you know, by the time Riverdale came out, I was already clear of how, uh, the, the people had, you know, Archie comics had sort of deconstructed Archie already. Um, and yeah, you know, it's a thing that I think people hear the idea initially, like it's, you know, um, this, this, this sexy teen CW show, uh, with the, with the Archie characters and it's easy to see why people are put off from that uh right away but it also makes a lot of sense it makes so much sense like the more you learn about archie comics the more you're like oh this is the inevitable thing like the way that archie died in 2015 in the comics because he was saving gay kevin from a shooter and like that's like riverdale season one it's so easy (laughs) no literally and like the fact that like i think one of the things that benefits it is that like 
they're very like characters that can like they have like kind of like a one note character you know where like it's like oh Jughead he likes to eat burgers and he's not interested in dating you know like you can do literally anything you want with that kind of character you know and that's why I think but the thing I think is so funny is like if you're talking about like this particular character is like that's his whole character in the comic but literally that's like the polar opposite of his character in Riverdale so I'm just like they don't even have to follow the comics like they could just take these base characters and do literally anything with them you you briefly mentioned the uh Jughead Ace discourse <laughs> which which we don't shy away from anything uh, on this show, but I think it's such an interesting, like, wrinkle in that yes, Jughead, like, like the fact that Jughead is canonically ace in the modern comics, mm -hmm. but was like very gay coded in the original comics. Yeah, <laughs> there's a really interesting sort of balance there, the and he's just straight he... in the show, right? And he's, he's, just... he's not just straight, like. The thing that is so egregious is he's not just straight. They make sure to let you know that Jughead fucks like a machine on the TV <laughs> no, show. Jughead gets like dommed by Betty. But that's like that's like so kind of inspired in a way also. <laughs> like, oh, like... Yeah. like it's everything to me. It's like hilarious, honestly. Like they like amount like the sheer amount of like sex scenes between Jughead and Betty that are set to like imagine dragons or whatever <laughs> yeah. like like you could literally like it's like a drinking game like take a shot every time there's a sex scene set to imagine dragons <laughs> it's like multiple times an episode they're constantly having sex and one of my favorite things ever is like it's like two or three seasons in betty's mom realizes they're having sex and it's like they literally sleep in the same bed i don't know what you thought they were doing alice it is so no, funny. literally so uh i'd like to uh get into just sort of the principal characters here and uh <laughs> just just do a little bit on each of them uh, the general structure of this show, we like to touch on history a little bit before we get into the nitty-gritty. So, as I said up top, I do have this timeline of the history of Archie's and, you know, Archie Comics characters sort of crossing over into film and television uh, that I'd like to get into before we touch on anything else. Yeah, totally. So, uh, Archie and Jughead make their comic debut in 1905. It's one of these situations where, like, it's originally a different comic, and then people just really like Archie, so they give him his own comic. As they should. I actually think in the original comic, uh, his, his full name was still Archibald Andrews, but his nickname was uh, Chick instead of Archie. <gasps> oh my god, this <laughs> really is you, uh, you haven't watched Riverdale, so you don't even know. You don't even know. Secret oh brother is named so... Chick. Well, <laughs> can I like just like explain who Chick is? Sure, like go ahead. just real quick. So basically, Chick in the show Riverdale is a character that's introduced, I think, in season two, mm -hmm. and um, he is at first presented as Betty's long lost older brother, um, but it turns out who was like a who was like living in a motel and was like a drug addict and stuff, and like the on the run, and um, also yeah, he's gay and. Um, 
Turns out he was lying, and he was not Betty's long-lost older brother, but we'll get into that more later, probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, like, a, a bit in, like, the first Archie comic that uh, Archie says, like, my name's Archie, but everyone calls me Chick, and insists that people call him Chick. So that is uh, the origin of that. <laughs> it's all coming together. The Archie Andrews radio show debuts in 1943 uh, and is pretty successful. Uh, but it's really just like, you know, that comes and goes and it's just the comics for like two decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1962, they make a pilot for a live action sitcom called Life with Archie. Uh, you know, doesn't get put to a series. And then in 1964, they do another version of the same pilot same cast etc this time it's just called archie also unsold uh and then in 1968 the animated the archie show debuts and that's the most successful archie show period (laughs) um it it was designed to mimic the monkeys they also had their uh fictitious band the archies uh who, who scored a number one hit with sugar sugar and yeah it was a big hit (laughs) The Archie cartoon, um, I haven't seen much of it. I've seen the Sugar Sugar video, obviously, but uh, really one of those classic kind of, you know, late 60s into the 70s things that's just like, it's unrecognizable, but also feels weirdly modern in a way, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. I love the Archie cartoon. Yeah. (laughs) The the original uh, Gorillaz... So that show was renamed the Archie Comedy Hour in 1969, and then it was renamed Archie's Fun House in 1970, and Fun House featured some uh, live-action segments. Uh, And then in 1970, there are three cartoons within the Archie universe and related to Archie characters that come out. Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Josie and the Pussycats, and Groovy Ghoulies. Uh, Oh my god. What is Groovy Ghoulies? Groovy Ghoulies features modern takes on the Universal movie monsters uh, who were enjoying a cultural resurgence at the time, and they would interact with characters from Sabrina, Archie, and Looney Tunes, as in the 1972 special Daffy Duck and Porky Pig Meet the Groovy Ghoulies. Wow, because in the show Riverdale, the Ghoulies are like a rival gang, and they like (laughs) are like, I quote, like dressed like fops. Mm-hmm. And they like carry like big heavy chains around, and like I'll have middle parts and shit. Mm-hmm. And they kind of do fantasy math a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're like the bad guy gang. So like in Riverdale, they're like, the good guy gang, which makes no sense. But like, uh-huh. it's the gang that Jughead is in, and they're called the Serpents, and then they're like here to like keep order and mm-hmm. stuff. But then there's the ghoulies who are reckless and just want to commit arson, and they're bad. What's so important about <laughs> Riverdale is it posits a future of community organizing and community uh, policing instead of actual police forces, and that is represented by the Serpents versus the ghoulies. Yeah. <laughs> and now we know it comes from the oh, yeah. The Sabrina, the 70s Sabrina cartoon was originally just called uh, Sabrina and the Goofy, Groovy Ghoulies. It was one uh, 
program. Wow. The more you know. Yeah, I also love that direct crossover between Archie and Daffy Duck and Porky Pig. I am waiting the- for them to add that into Riverdale. <laughs> Please! It would not be out of the realm of possibility. It's true, there's never been a better time. Uh, the CW's already had cartoon crossover episodes in the past with other shows. Please, we need it. True, true. In 1971, we get Archie's TV Funnies, an anthology featuring animated versions of various popular comics characters, such as Dick Tracy and Nancy, uh, where Archie and the gang uh, were like the hosts, and they did the interstitials between uh, the shorts. That's cute. I actually like that. Yeah, the uh, TV Funhouse segment on Saturday Night Live was inspired by Archie's TV Funnies. Oh, There you go. Yeah. The same year Jughead makes a brief appearance on Sesame Street. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> like, as a Muppet? Or like, what? how, how does he appear? It's, a, it's like a brief animated segment. He is uh, telling a story using the letter J. And uh, it's about him in, uh, in some kind of a jam eating contest, I think. Oh my god, wow. That's beautiful. I love my best friend Jughead. In 1972, the Josie and the Pussycats cartoon is renamed Josie and the Pussycats in Outer Space. <laughs> sure. <Of course. laughs> yeah, classic. Uh, you know, Josie and the Pussycats, I don't know if you've seen that old cartoon. It is like a, 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 such a carbon copy of Scooby-Doo. <laughs> and there were a lot of shows like that because Scooby-Doo was such an insane, like, unprecedented phenomenon <laughs> that, like, every studio had to be like, let's just reskin <laughs> Scooby-Doo with our characters. Yeah. And that's what Jesse and the Pussycats was. Did they also have, like, a talking dog companion or cat companion, I'm assuming? Yeah, I'm looking into it right now. I think they did, but I want to um, just get the scoop on here. Yes, I had Sebastian the cat. Oh, there you go. Not as catchy as Scooby, <laughs> but... Archie also had a dog companion for a bit, right? Like, yeah, he did in in Riverdale. He had like a like a golden retriever dog, and um, he like died, I think. But like, it was very like nonchalant. Like, I think it's because so much shit happens in Riverdale that like if you blink, you'll miss like one of the hundred plot lines. I think he and had one, the one episode. He just too, like though. stopped showing up. Jughead has a dog oh, named Hot Dog. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. <gasps> there was that too. Yeah, Hot Dog, and that was like in Riverdale. That's like the gang dog. And we're like, um, <laughs> in order to be a part of the serpents, you have to like take on these three badass challenges. And one of them is you have to like take care of Hot Dog for a little bit. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that's actually really cute, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. In 1974, there's a, a, a short-lived educational spinoff of the Archie show called U.S. of Archie. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, same character, same cast, and they just sort of... Uh, uh, it's a non-musical <laughs> series where they just sort of teach you lessons and people were like, fuck this. In 1976, a one-hour pilot for a new Archie live-action show airs on ABC simply titled Archie. And then the same thing happens where in 1978, they get the same cast together and make a new pilot <laughs> called the Archie Situation Comedy Musical Variety Hour. <laughs> that, Very that catchy. That title, was it? It was a big sell. 
<laughs> the, the kids loved it. Uh, yeah, didn't uh, didn't go further than a, a, a pilot. And uh, then it's like it's like silence for Archie for like eleven years. In 1987, Entertainment produces the new Archies, a cartoon featuring the Archie crew as preteens. Baby Muppets. Yeah, <laughs> it has sort of that that classic '80s cartoon style. Uh, uh, in 1990, NBC airs a TV movie called Archie to Riverdale and Back Again. Uh, this is a live action film about the Archie crew coming back together for their 15 year high school reunion. Wow, I don't think anyone of note was in it. Um. I'm picturing, given the time period, I'm picturing, like, Seth Green as Archie, which I think is really, there's a lot of potential there. That is. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that's sort of the situation. It was uh, Christopher Rich who, who played Archie, but, uh, yeah, same vibe for sure. It was seen as a pilot for a possible series. <laughs> um, it was uh, well-received by some critics, uh, but didn't do well in the ratings. Hmm. Uh, in 1994, Universal Studios announces their intent to produce a live-action Archie movie. Uh, and I had a lot of trouble finding further information on this, <laughs> but from what I could tell, uh, they were just sort of, it, you know, it would come up every couple years, there'd be some article about what Universal had coming up, and it's like, oh, they're talking about doing an Archie movie, they're getting a script together. There was a rumor at one point that Brendan Fraser was involved. Mm. And that's all we got really important that Brendan Fraser was involved. Yeah. <laughs> involved with everything. Yeah, absolutely. And then in 1996, there's the Sabrina the Teenage Witch live-action series, uh, which, of course, is, is something of a hit. I was a big fan. Yeah, it's a good show. Very good show. In 99, Dick releases two new Archie shows, Sabrina the Animated Series and Archie's Weird Mysteries. <laughs> <laughs> Archie loves his mysteries. They should just call Riverdale Archie's weird mysteries. <laughs> it's literally Archie's weird mysteries. <laughs> it really is. Archie's weird mysteries was an X Files inspired show oh, where yeah. uh, Archie and the gang would solve supernatural mysteries in Riverdale each week. That's so funny. The other very fun fact about Archie's weird mysteries is that Archie was voiced by Andrew Rannells. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a very early role for him. That's everything. <laughs> it's good stuff. Uh, 2001, Josie and the Pussycats live action movie. Uh, didn't do well at the time, has since developed a bit of a cult following for sure. I haven't seen it, but I hear, I hear it's fun. 2002, uh, The Archies in Jugman is a direct-to-video film in the continuity of Archie's Weird Mysteries with uh, Andrew Rannells and the rest of the cast returning. Uh, it's effectively a series finale, and it follows a similar narrative to Encino Man with uh, Brendan Fraser. So <laughs> <laughs> Brendan, it all comes back around to Brendan Fraser. <laughs> this is what we're discovering. He's been at it all along. <laughs> He's been behind the scenes pulling the strings. Uh, in 2002, Deke releases an 
animated film called Sabrina Friends Forever that takes place between Sabrina the animated series and the show that starts the next year, Sabrina's Secret Life. Uh, and basically it's just the same continuity, but it's like she's 12 in the first cartoon, 13 in the movie, 14 in the second cartoon. So they just keep going. In 2003, Miramax announces development on a Betty and Veronica movie, uh, which never materializes. You hate to see it. Uh, 2012, Moonscoop produces a new Sabrina series called Sabrina Secrets of a Teenage Witch. They also announce a an, an even younger Archie show, like a kid Archie show, called It's Archie. That never comes to be. In 2015, uh, Roberto Gary Sacasa and Adam McKay announced production on an Archie musical, uh, which also never materializes. I'm honestly, given the amount of musicals Roberto has like done the book for, including multiple musicals that have shown up on Riverdale, I'm surprised that he didn't get that off the ground. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when this was announced was like, I mean, around the time that uh, that the American Psycho musical was blowing up and, you know, it, like, and I, I mean, you know, ha- having Adam McKay on board, I feel like there's a lot of, a, you know, like, like things were definitely brewing there. But I think what it really was is just like, maybe it was just at a time where he wasn't sure if Riverdale was going to happen. <laughs> but then, mm-hmm. like, once it became clear that Riverdale was happening, he was like, mm-hmm. okay, this is what I wanted to do. Riverdale comes out in 2017, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina in 2018, Katie Keene in 2020, and next year, an Indian reboot of The Archies will be released in conjunction with Netflix. So... That's gonna go crazy. There's your history. Yeah, (laughs) it probably is. Um, Okay, you didn't mention it in your history. Are you familiar with Archie's weird fantasy? Yes. Okay. (laughs) I don't want to jump the gun yes, if you but... wanted to talk about that later, but it, it's in my notes as part of the as part of uh, Roberto Garrisacasa's history. But we could we could just talk about it now. Um, yeah, he uh, was you know writing plays at Yale, and uh, they're picking up steam. And in two thousand three, he was about to put on a play called uh, Archie's Weird Fantasy. And Archie Comics sent him a cease and desist letter the day before it was going to open. It was going to be a play about Archie uh, coming out and moving to New York. And yeah, it, it ended up going up a few days later with the character names changed and they, they called it like weird comic book fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and then Roberto Aguirre Sacasa became the uh, <laughs> chief creative officer of Archie Comics. <laughs> His career is so slay like no one else's. Imagine getting sued by people for putting, making their characters gay and then getting hired to be the entire creative head and being like, all right, gay sex now. No, literally. It's a funny uh, sort of sequence of events where, like, he keeps writing plays and then Marvel hires an editor from, like, a theatrical agency to scout out new writers. And that editor is, like, going to theaters being like, do you know any playwrights who want to write comics? And everyone's like, you should talk to Roberto. <laughs> um, so he's, he starts at Marvel with a Fantastic Four story and their uh, holiday special 2004. Uh, keeps writing for Marvel. Uh, has, you know, plays going up. Um, he starts writing for the TV show Big Love uh, in 2009. Um, and that's the same year that he's announced as doing the American Psycho musical. 2011, he does rewrites on Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. 
Uh, and around the same time, he is hired as a producer and writer on Glee. Mm -hmm. And then two months later, he's approached by Archie Comics to write the comic book Archie Meets Glee. That's his first uh, Archie product. And then after that, it, you know, that comes out and it does really well. Six months later, uh, he does another Archie story, Afterlife with Archie, which is a massive hit. All eight issues sell out. It's a post-apocalyptic zombie Archie series. Everyone loves it. And it's really just off of that that they're like, yeah, you can, you can be in charge of, like, all of Archie comics. <laughs> you redeemed yourself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that same year, he goes to... Uh, Warner Brothers, I think, with Jason Moore, the Avenue Q and Pitch Perfect director, and uh, they pitch like a John Hughes type Archie movie, uh, and and it's a there's a VP at Warner Brothers who suggests that they do like a time travel story instead, <laughs> and specifically suggests specifically suggests Louis C.K. to play a middle aged uh, Archie. Oh my god. No. <laughs> That's in an alternate universe, that is the timeline we live in. Alternate universe, Archie gets cancelled! Yeah. Uh, that movie stalls after a couple weeks, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, he goes to uh, Greg Berlanti, who worked with Jason Moore on Dawson's Creek, but then they, they sort of come together with this Riverdale idea, they pitch it to Fox, Fox pays for a pilot, and then doesn't produce it so they, they have to pay a bunch of money to not make riverdale and then they go to the cw and the cw loves it i've been thinking a lot this week about if riverdale had the fox budget instead of the cw budget because we been watching glee and that's a brighter timeline but i do i don't know that it would have survived seven seasons on fox so i'm grateful yeah it wouldn't be off. like it's camp you know that's true really yeah it does feel at home on the cw for sure yeah. It feels nice. Like, I think the shittiness adds to it. it. It it helps to watch Riverdale and remember that the CW in its entire running has never been a profitable industry and to look at Riverdale and go, ah, oh, they're just doing this for the love of the game. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> they're just having fun with it. I mean, it was... <laughs> it was sort of a thing where, like, um, who who are the two... I know it's Warner Brothers, but, but the C is uh, Viacom, I think. But, like... They sort of, it, it was sort of like this arranged marriage sort of thing where they like had to have a network. And so they, and so they were like, you know, they put on their, you know, their sharing shirt and they, they, they made the CW and they just sort of have to keep doing it even though it doesn't make money. Yeah. They're just stuck in prison. No one wants to be there. Except for Roberto. Nobody wants to be there. He wants to be there. He and Greg Berlanti are loving it. It's Greg Berlanti's little playpen. He just gets to do whatever he wants. Gets to put and like literally true. even like the cast of Riverdale, like verbatim described being on the Riverdale set as being in prison. <laughs> yeah, we've uh, we've actually talked about Greg Berlanti on the show before because he also directed Love Simon. Mm -hmm. um, Love Simon will probably come up in this discussion. He he's had quite a career, as has Roberto Aguirre uh, Sacasa, who um, wrote the Carrie reboot oh, <laughs> and <yeah>. like <laughs> and, like is doing Let the new Pretty Little Liars show and like yeah, just. Uh, one of those guys who's been everywhere. 
he's like our greatest living artist i think personally <laughs> he's kind of great it's the thing um so yeah walk me through we've talked about jughead we've talked about some of the uh some of the more obscure elements that have come up in the show walk me through the principal cast <laughs> of riverdale <laughs> so archie is like set up to be like he's the main character but he's honestly the least main character out of everyone in riverdale like he has the least amount of like actual like character arcs and but like he is still our main character and he's supposed to be like oh i'm this wholesome boy next door and um i'm like the epitome of a good guy but throughout the show he literally does so much fucked up shit and he's extremely violent and like will like beat the shit out of like everyone for literally no reason all the time and then there's like like he just like goes through so much and then for like one episode or like one scene he'll be all like affected by it and be like i don't know i just have like ptsd and then in like the next episode he'll be like totally fine and like reverted back to normal and we're just supposed to like accept that he's like this like wholesome character again despite the episode before he was like all like dark and gritty it's very weird wait eddie you haven't seen the new season right no and that is like what i'm so curious about okay um i'm gonna like make this quick because like i know we're trying to like go through these characters as fast as we can but like they actually set up this really interesting thing where like because like Part of why a lot of people jump off Riverdale in the first season is that, like, Archie's basically being, like, sexually abused by his teacher. Like, he's being groomed. Yeah. And, like, they actually return to that in the most recent season in, like, an episode that's done pretty well, genuinely. And, like, you can, I, like, a lot of the stuff with, like, Archie getting involved in crime and, like, Archie getting involved in boxing, which, like, becomes a big thing for him and, like, kind of like selling his body like gets tied back retrospectively to this like sexual abuse that he's like encountered like not to like no. read too much into Riverdale but like there's really interesting stuff happening where like he has never had like he has never been he's never owned himself in a weird way and like a lot of his mm -hmm. crime gets recontextualized in that if that makes sense and then he becomes a champion for workers rights in the most recent season and it's really cool oh my god like, Archie go is my best friend that's literally crazy because yeah that was very strange because in season one literally one of like the very first things they established in season one is archie and his music instructor are like having like some like teacher student thing and it's very like they mention it like very offhandly a few times like hey this is like bad for you Archie but like they mostly treat it as like a sexy scandalous thing that happens as opposed to like serious like sexual abuse from like an older person and a child and it's like very bizarre and then like that character gets killed off like immediately after like the season is over by season two's main antagonist the Black Hood um, but it's very just like it was less about like oh like this is like like i don't know it was just like very weird because like everyone was like more like oh no it's so sad this happened and it's like um are we forgetting that she like sexually abused archie i don't know it was just weird it you should definitely watch season six because they they get into it in a really good 
an interesting way, um, admittedly through a Stephen King plot, but they do get at it really well. Um, <laughs> and it's like a really, really interesting episode that I've went back to a couple times in the last couple of weeks. I'm definitely interested in uh, a uh, just a funny behind the scenes thing about Archie is I, I love that they were like they went on like a four month search. They were like, we have to find the perfect athlete, Archie. And they were like, we have to get this guy who does not have red hair and is from New Zealand. Yeah. And like, I feel like his acting is so much like I'm just trying to conceal my New Zealand accent. And like, it's like, as long as you can conceal the New Zealand accent, then you got it good. And so his acting is like 90% just that. I there's like an incredible <laughs> Tumblr post around there that's like KJ Appa devoting entirely all of his brain power to the, trying to not have a New Zealand accent and then reading all the lines completely wrong. <laughs> so literally, he's, I think KJ like I mean this fully seriously. KJ Appa deserves an Emmy for his work. Like he deserves a lifetime achievement award. He's doing it like no one else is. No, literally, it's like how uh, Bohemian Rhapsody got the editing Oscar because they made it look like it was finished. Yeah. <laughs> literally like he's trying so hard and you need to give it to him so walk me through the other characters we talked about jughead okay so then there is archie's girlfriend veronica who um she's from new york city and she's like this like rich bitch right she's the so i don't want to be seen as a rich bitch i want to be seen as just an everyday average person but still makes her entire personality that she's rich and her dad is in the mafia and in the beginning of season one um her dad his name is hiram lodge who turns out to be one of the main antagonists throughout the series um is imprisoned and for like mafia crimes or something you know and um she's like i hate my dad so much like he's like has nothing to do with me i'm separating myself from him but then <laughs> like constantly is having all these back and forth with him and like competing with him and um she becomes best friends with Betty, but they basically have nothing in common whatsoever. And, like, the only way we can really tell that they're friends is because they say, like, explicitly, we are best friends, like, every, like, five lines. And so it's just, like, it's a very interesting dynamic. It's a very high school dynamic. This is, like, so <laughs> true to life for high school, I feel like. Um, yeah. Like my general Riverdale thesis. Uh, I think probably before we move on to characters, because, like, the thing that's so important about understanding all of these characters is, like, each character on Riverdale is, like, a stand-in for a very specific, like, not just, like, teen trope, but, like, a specific piece of teen media. Like, Veronica is entirely Gossip Girl. Jughead is entirely Twin Peaks. Um, Archie, you know, is, like, I'm not super familiar with, like, 90s soaps, but, like, he falls into those a lot, and, like, that's, like, a really good way to frame them, I all I think. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned how uh, Berlanti worked on, was, you know, got his big start on Dawson's Creek, and I feel like there's definitely overlap there. Yeah, because uh, Archie's dad is from Dawson's Creek, I think, or he's from 90210. I swapped them a lot. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, um, R.I.P. And I know R.I.P. is so sad. But, um, yeah. yeah, another thing is, like, they're very focused heavily on references 
with other pre-existing media, like whether they be like a line that's incredibly forced, that's like, wow, this is just like in uh, Kill Bill when they did this or whatever. <laughs> like, but like everything has to be either an overt or subtle reference to an already existing media. And I really want to go off about the comparison between Twin Peaks and Riverdale, but I'll do that at another time. Just remind me to get back to that. Archie wants to, like, impress Hiram really a lot and does a lot of, like, things, like, for his attention. Like, he joins wrestling for him and then eventually ends up, like, becoming, like, a mobster, like, under Hiram Lodge. But, like, there's lots of, like, angst in that subplot because, like, um, Hiram, like, treats Archie like shit, but he still wants to, like, impress him because he's his girlfriend's dad who's, like, powerful. And so, like, there's, like, lots of, like, drama about how he's, like, uh, I hate him, but I also have to, like, respect him, and it's, like, dramatic. Oh, we haven't even talked about Betty. Oh, my God. So, Betty Betty. is the Betty's Nancy Drew. Yeah, Betty has the absolute craziest plot line of all time. So at the beginning, she starts out as like, oh, I'm in love with Archie, but we're childhood best friends and I can never like really confess my true feelings. And anyways, my best friend Veronica is dating him, so it's okay. And then she like becomes like a dom. Like, and, like, first, like, they introduce the concept of Dark Betty as, like, her, like, being, like, a dom who, like, takes it too far. And then later in the series, it's revealed that Dark Betty actually is a reference to her father being a serial killer. And she has a thing called the serial killer gene, which makes her genetically predisposed to being a serial killer. And she has to, like, (laughs) metaphorically, like, fight her inner demons of, like, wanting to kill and be a serial killer and like she wears like a black wig in like lingerie and like does like a striptease to mad world in front of like a bunch of like adults at a biker bar and it's just like very like bizarre like how she's like oh and then she like becomes like literally uh clarice starling from silence of the lambs her dad is hannibal it's crazy like, she, like, becomes, yeah. like, an FBI agent, like, vigilante kind of person. And, like, the introduction to this arc is literally the exact, like, shot-for-shot intro to Silence of the Lambs. And, um, like, she's, like, using her serial killer gene against the serial killers, you know? She's like, I know the way they think and operate, so that's how I, <laughs> that's how I can catch them better. He's mind-huntering them, yeah. I'll point out, uh, the first two counsel- casting announcements that were made for the show were Lily Reinhardt and Cole Sprouse. Wow, there you go. And I like Lily Reinhardt a lot, because I feel like she, like, really does not give a shit about Riverdale at all, and it's kind of, like, visible in the show. And I think that's one of the things that makes the show funny for me, is just, like, some of the characters, like, really are trying really hard, and Lily Reinhardt just, like, does not really give a shit, and I just think it's so funny. Absolutely. There's gay Kevin. He's important, because he's gay. That's Kevin's thing. He's gay, and he's very easily manipulated by cults. Um, yeah. Cheryl. Oh, Cheryl. <laughs> oh my god, Cheryl. Cheryl. Cheryl is head bitch in charge. She's the cheerleader, but she's also, most importantly, 
living out a gothic uh novella at any given moment like she lives in a haunted house <laughs> and she carries her own mom like she covers herself in blood and like threatens her mom with psychic powers um she's also a lesbian which is established in the love simon product placement episode which is oh. everything to me <laughs> hello <laughs> yes <literally>. okay <laughs> There's a Love, Simon product placement episode of Riverdale. It came out a week before Love, Simon did, and it involves all of the characters explicitly talking about how moving and representational Love, Simon is and how important it is to have movies like this. And they specifically go to, like, an AMC cinema and, like, they show all of them watching the movie <laughs> and you see clips from the movie that, like, the movie has not been released, but this is coming out. And this is how Cheryl comes out is she says, when Simon's mom said those things to him, it made me think about my own mom. And that's how we know Cheryl's gay. It's incredible. It's so and she says this to the only other, like, lesbian character at the time. Um, well, like, bisexual. And her name's Tony, And she's, like, pretty much the only redeemable, like, actually good character in Riverdale. But she's just, like, like treated like shit by the writers because she's, like, an indigenous woman. And, like, she's, like, in, like, the serpents. Um, and, like, she's just, like, a generally, like, good person. And, like, I don't know how the fuck her and Cheryl started dating because, again, nothing in common. And, like, their, like, families even have beef because, like, Cheryl's family is, like, these, like, historic colonizers who, like, killed all of, like, the indigenous people in Riverdale. And, like... So, like, Tony's parents, like, we don't want you dating Cheryl because they're, like, colonizer family. And so then there was, like, big drama about that. And it was just, like, super bizarre. Now, uh, as in the comics, Cheryl has a twin brother, Jason. Mm -hmm. And this is the reason why the show even exists. Because the very first season is literally supposed to be, like, off-brand Twin Peaks. Where, um... That starts out immediately pretty much with uh, Jason is mysteriously washed up on the shore dead and they don't know who killed him and everyone in the town is a suspect. And so the youth like to do their own little sleuthing and try and figure out who killed Jason, a.k.a. Laura Palmer, and it, like, gets out of hand and, um... He literally is, like, only a character, like, to further the plot points of other characters because, like, he is dead throughout the entire show. And this is, like, where I'm going to get into a little bit about how it compares to Twin Peaks because I think they kind of missed the point of, like, why, like, Twin Peaks was, like, effective. And it's because... um Laura Palmer, despite being dead from, like, the very first moment of the series, she is still very much alive as a character because her actions in life and in death affect the characters um, that are still, like, alive, um, like, actions and motivations, while, like... And she is still very much a dynamic character while she is not even doing anything. While Jason is pretty much just like, he died and that's his character. And like the only like thing that affects like the other characters that he did is die. 
So like it's just like it's just like I think like it's like interesting because like it's very much an homage to the Twin Peaks and throughout the entire series they have lots and lots of David Lynch references but I think they kind of missed the point on like why like it's like an interesting story to tell of like beloved teenager shows up dead who no one knows who did it and actually never mind because this is a huge spoiler for Twin Peaks and Riverdale but Essentially, it resolves in the same way, too. Mm -hmm. Like, that arc in particular. Now, uh, Josie and the Pussycats are on this show. They are. They leave around season... Well, the Pussycats leave around season two. Josie leaves season four, maybe end of season three. But they are there for most of the high school plotline. Hmm. And then there's, like, a one-off episode about Josie in, like, season five, I believe. Which is um, very fun. Yeah. But, like, that's, like, another issue with that is, like, um, like, the Josie and the Pussycats characters, like, are pretty much there, like, to, like, further Archie's plot. And, mm -hmm. like, one of the, like women who was like acting as like one of the pussycats like spoke up about how like the writers like were very not like like they treated the people of color uh, that they wrote very poorly and stuff the i i want to get into the sort of overarching stories of the show uh something that always sort of interested me about the show is some of the directors that that have been involved mm. and of course uh they're you know a lot of the big directors of the 90s a lot of the big indie uh filmmakers of the time are now doing a lot of tv shows um but the <laughs> i mean there's greg iraqi that's really <laughs> the, the the big one you've also got uh rachel Talley, the director of tank girl you've got uh Tim Hunter, the director of River's Edge, and there's also an episode that referenced River's Edge before <laughs> before yeah. he came on. Um, Allison Anders, another uh, sort of 90s uh, nuclear cinema adjacent figure. Kevin Sullivan, who did How Stella Got Her Groove Back. Um, just a, a, an interesting assortment of, <laughs> of filmmakers getting involved in Archie. I'm curious about the Gregoraki episode specifically, but... Uh, uh, I could yeah. talk about the Gregoraki episode if you want. Uh, sure. Right? Uh, I, like, wrote a big thing about this um, for one of my classes because I think that Riverdale makes a lot of sense if you look at it coming out of, like, the new queer cinema movement specifically. Like, not only, like, the way it deals with camp parody, like, we were talking about Twin Peaks and stuff where, like, it's kind of putting on these costumes of other shows, but also they have a very similar approach to, like, bodies on screen that i think iraqi does um and the episode that iraqi specifically directs is a wrestling competition where i think it was it was mentioned earlier with uh that's how archie tries to like win veronica's dad over is by learning how to wrestle and specifically wrestling him which yeah is there's lots of very homoerotic scenes between archie and hiram yeah, it's uh, the Archie Hiram stuff is like really interesting. Like it's always like a power dynamic, but it's always a power dynamic that's like rooted in homoeroticism. Um, and like it's you know not as like big or 
as like normal Iraqi movies because it's like made for TV, but there is like such a there's such a style to it that he still manages to pull through. And like the, the fact that he's directing that episode specifically with like this wrestling and like it's very like vintage wrestling outfits, you know, like really like something you'd see in like an 80s movie or something. Um, sure. And like, I don't know, just having directors like that, I think is so interesting. It really shows where Riverdale's coming from because it is like coming from this tradition of cinema but also like paying homage to that and like getting people who are in like getting people who they're paying reference to very specifically to come and like put their work back into it i don't know if that like makes sense or if i just went around in circles but no it totally makes sense yeah and of course the first couple episodes are done by lee tolan krieger who a lot of pilots um but also did like celeste and jesse forever age of adeline a pretty good director um let's go through some of the like overarching narratives and uh directions that the show goes in so i think the most chaotic one has to be probably the season three arc in which um there is a like evil version of dungeons and dragons called griffins and gargoyles that was a game that the main cast's parents played in high school and then swore and vowed they would never speak of again because it ended up in, like, the deaths of a few of their, like, colleagues. But um, then mysteriously reappears in Riverdale. And there's an antagonist of this game called the Gargoyle King who was, like, this, like, giant, like, seven-foot-tall, like, monster with antlers and branches and blood and skulls and um there's like an evil nunnery slash mental institution called um the sisters of quiet mercy where also they do conversion therapy they do all sorts of crazy shit at this place right pretty much anything that like serves the plot they will do and um they one of the ways that they keep the patients there like under control is by giving them this game to play while simultaneously feeding them a hallucinogenic drug called fizzle rocks which makes the patients hallucinate the gargoyle king in the flesh and um keeps them like afraid to like act out right because if you act out we're gonna take you to see the gargoyle king and he's not gonna be happy and so um we're just like who's the gargoyle king is he real is he like a guy like is he a hallucination it turns out he's all of the above um and there's like many reveals on who the gargoyle king is and um basically it's just like a big thing where like where they're trying to like figure out like what like the gargoyle king is like how to g and g they call it like come about and it's very like interesting that it's just like evil nuns evil fake nuns might i add that's also the very interesting it's having all that D stuff and then there's also like all these weird side plots where like veronica's running like a speakeasy at the same time like oh my god a, yeah there's, there's more happening in a single episode of riverdale than most seasons of television that are on right now yeah <laughs> right. so yeah veronica has a speakeasy called le bon nuit and mm-hmm. um like 
she like it's like under the diner pops that they eat at like every episode and um like she like does all these like live performances and stuff there too and it's just like there gets to be lots of drama fun fact one episode she literally kills a guy and sets it on fire in the but like never bring it never gets brought up ever again it's not important right. it's not important <laughs> and this is also the heather season this is the heather season which is the heather season and the cult season yes so after the sisters of quiet mercy get disbanded um long story um then they t- then a cult called the farm takes over the building and um that's like where they like have like a whole organ harvesting side deal and um like they're like slowly recruiting everyone into this cult like gay kevin is there and gay kevin's boyfriend is there uh betty's mom is there but it turns out she was actually just undercover the entire time despite giving their entire life savings away um to the cult um and the guy who runs its name is Edgar Evernever, and he like is like this like charismatic guy, and like Betty is like has all this like beef with him or whatever, um, and yeah, the episode where they are like singing Heather's is like closely like they like change some of the lyrics of the songs to like relate back to like the plot with the cult and shit. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, they obviously do the musical episodes mm-hmm. every season after the first one. Um, I, the, a lot of the things that I have, I've become aware of about Riverdale are like the strange, like, like we've talked about a lot of the, you know, picking up elements from like uh, Stephen King and from Twin Peaks or whatever, but they'll also do like more targeted pastiches of like, uh, closer or uncut gems or just just sort of whatever they decide to sort of throw elements of into the show with little regard for for what the audience may or may not have seen it's it's weird because like you know they're pulling from like a huge range of material but like i don't know if you guys agree with this but like it feels very cohesive the way they actually do it because like um each season kind of has one overarching thing like okay we just talked about season three so i'll use this as an example where like okay the D plot line is like the overarching umbrella and that is like they're pulling a lot from stranger things with that and they're also pulling from like you know 80s movies like they pull there's like a whole breakfast club themed episode but like within that then there's also like smaller pastiches where like they have like you know they have like an episode that's like geared towards like a movie or something and like this most recent season that's airing right now is um it's a horror anthology but it's specifically a stephen king horror anthology where every single episode is a new stephen king story so like they've done christine needful things the shining haven't done it surprisingly they're gonna do the stand next week um like all of these things like it manages to like actually form into one thing really really well because like they're pulling from so much that it doesn't necessarily matter if you catch like the Patricia Highsmith reference because you'll definitely get the Breakfast Club reference next. Mm. <laughs> right. Yeah. There is a whole Patricia Highsmith episode, which I really love. I think the one thing that like, even though I completely agree, it just think it's funny because I think 
a lot of the references that they have in Riverdale are things that, like, the actual teenagers would never talk about. Like, like Veronica's like, oh my god, this is so breakfast at Tiffany's or something, you know? And it's like, yeah, it's like an iconic movie, but like, what like 15-year-old like actually gives a shit about breakfast at Tiffany's? Like, in, enough to like reference it to their group of friends and then their group of friends is like, totally, you know? I agree with you. The problem is I was that teenager. Like I mean, I totally, I was that teenager too, but I didn't have like a group of friends that like agreed with me. You yeah. know what I mean? I was really brave and I was like, oh my God, this is just like 1974's The Sting. What do you mean you guys haven't seen The Sting starring Paul Newman and Robert Redford? Like, it's great. I think it's, I think more teenagers should be like Veronica personally. I think it's funny because like it makes sure. sense for like a character like Jughead to like say things like this because his like whole character is like he's a cinephile, you know. Mm-hmm. But like it's not just like the cinephile characters that like have like encyclopedic knowledge of movies. It's like random ass characters that like should not know shit about like film history that are like oh doesn't this remind you of like the 1933 art house film by (laughs) kurosawa or whatever and it's like how do you even know what this is you're on the football team dude (laughs) (laughs) Gretchen has layers This this school just has like a very robust film curriculum (laughs) yeah it's like required alongside algebra or whatever they're like, you guys have to watch every film that's referenced in the cellulite closet and nothing else. That's like, that's just <laughs> No, literally, that's like, they're like curricula. That's the other thing is like, we've kind of talked around it, but Riverdale is like, probably like, textually, but also like, better textually, one of the queerest shows on television right now, to like a really yeah, insane it's, degree. It's true. Sure. And I think that's like kind of the funniest thing about Riverdale is like it has extremely explicit like LGBT representation. Like they don't like they show like lesbian and gay like making out and like they Only say two characters like, have not had a gay experience. Yeah, and like they like say like explicitly like I am a lesbian, I am gay, like we are gay dating. There is no like queer baiting whatsoever. Well, I mean, there is queer baiting, but like for it's like not these real specific, queer baiting, but like though, not like... For, like for like a lot of these characters, it's like very explicit. But yet the show is just so unhinged that most people who will watch anything for the representation still won't watch mm-hmm. Riverdale. <laughs> Literally, it drives me insane because I'm like, this is like okay, you've you know you've got like characters doing this. They also like explicitly get into like pretty like interesting queer issues like there's a whole episode where kevin and his at the time boyfriend are going to get married and they have this whole discussion about like whether they want to be in an open marriage or like and how that relates to like histories of like gay men and monogamy and stuff and like kevin's at bathhouses and he's cruising and things like that and then like on top of that they're also like creating this whole canon of queer media that like most kids like wouldn't like maybe wouldn't know about otherwise unless like it's mentioned on Riverdale like it's they're giving you all this material and no one will watch it no one will watch it and it drives me up the wall it's like you're asking for representation and we have it so neatly I know it's just like you just have to watch Riverdale to get it (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) so um 
two more uh, big topics I want to touch on. Uh, first of all, I'm led to understand that there have been some more dramatic uh, uh, plot turns in the show in the past couple seasons. Yes. There's so many dramatic plot turns, especially season five and six, I think are crazy. Yeah, I've seen season five. And so essentially what happens is like they do like um a fast forward. Like Riverdale like I think that's where like the timelines get kind of fucked up because they in like Riverdale, like when they're in high school, they reference things that are like the year it was released. But then they do like a fast forward like ten years later and that's supposed to be like present day so it's kind of like how would they know what euphoria is if this hasn't come out yet you know but like that's besides the point like um they are like all grown-ups but they're all like fucked up like archie is like a ptsd war veteran and he's like on trial for war crimes that weren't his fault (laughs) and jughead's an alcoholic like burnt out like writer who like is like running away from debt collectors and like that's when they get into the betty is in the fbi trying to avenge her like sister's disappearance and like um veronica is like getting divorced and she's like basically like uncut gems and it's like weird yeah and they do all of that and like kind of season five is like a really weird in between season because they have to like do the time skip and then have them all get back to riverdale and figure out why they're in riverdale why are they staying in riverdale all of that and then um season six is like when it actually goes crazy you know not that like archie fighting in a war is it crazy (laughs) Which they only ever refer to as the war. (laughs) The war! They do not say which one because they do not want you to know where Archie is. Um, But season six, uh, Eddie, you haven't seen it, so like, I'm sorry, there's gonna be like some spoilers if that's okay. Okay. Season six starts with like a five episode mini arc that is in an alternate universe called River Vale. Um, Mm. And like, each episode in that arc is set up like its own standalone episode. Like they're not really connected. And like people who are die in one episode come back in the other. And like, you know, I mentioned it's all Stephen King. And then they have the Jughead Paradox, which is the Riverdale's 100th episode, which I think is one of the best episodes of TV ever made. It is so good, legitimately. Like, I mean, this so earnestly. Um, where Jughead realizes that the two universes of Riverdale and Riverdale have gotten combined and he has to split them by doing like a multiverse thing that all relates back to Archie comics and like the theory of comics like Scott McCloud might as well have written this episode and then in that you know he splits the universe whatever and then it gets back to Riverdale and there's an explosion and that explosion gives Archie Betty and Veronica or not Archie Betty and Jughead superpowers and they're using those superpowers to fight a guy who's like literally the devil and like he's bringing ghosts back and then like everyone gets powers. Reggie forgets how to read at some point because he gets like a thinner style curse put on him. Um, like they're literally building up to Stephen King's The Stand right now, which is about all the powers of good and evil uniting on both like one side or the other and like getting in this huge battle that ends in an explosion in the book. So I'm pretty sure they're going to blow up Riverdale next episode. Whoa. Um, yeah, there's I mean, the time travel. Episode, the last episode of the season is called Night of Comet, so I do suspect something uh, big is coming. 
there's a big comet. Uh, the, the antagonist is trying to build a, quote, ghost train to bring spirits <laughs> to his side of the war. They keep referring to the war that is starting. Cheryl did Pet Cemetery last episode, and it was, like, a D-plot. Like, it, there's, it's insane. Yeah, I think that's the thing that's the craziest thing about Riverdale is, like, the most, like, absolutely, like, batshit thing will happen, and it's, like, not even, like, remotely the main plot. Like, it's just, like, a little, <laughs> meanwhile, back at the farm, like, kind of thing, as opposed to, like, an important, like, thing that is, like, affecting every character. Um, but yeah, it's, like, this, the scale of, like, each episode of season six is so far away from the scale of each episode of season one. Which is, like, I don't know, it's really fascinating how they've managed to get to this point. And, like, if you sit down and watch Riverdale from, like, season one through six, I think you're like, yeah, I buy this. Like, this is normal. This is what Archie would do. Yeah. And that's the thing, like, every season they kind of, like, up the ante a little bit. Like, season one, it's, like, pretty grounded in reality. There's still some, like, pretty, like, whoa, that's kind of weird, like, things that happen. But, like, it's not anything that, like, would be, like, extremely like shocking and then like season two it gets kind of like a little bit more like whoa it's getting kind of weird when like it gets into like the whole mafia and like serial killer thing season three is when they completely stop giving a shit about being grounded in any kind of reality and they just like yolo it and then it just gets like more yolo from there and to tie it all home, uh, we were talking earlier about people's reservations about getting into the show. I wonder if there is something about how season one uh, has that groundedness and those obviously dark plot lines going on. And I'm wondering if, you know, pe people watch that and then they're put off by it and then they hear about the absurd things that happen and they picture like a supernatural situation where the show's just completely lost the plot. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people in general tend to be like, oh, you know, like they think it's very silly or like very easy to kind of cast aside. And like, I don't know if you guys agree with this. But I don't think Riverdale has ever lost the plot necessarily. Like, I think like despite its ridiculousness, it has a very firm grasp on that. And like, it's always kind of had a degree of ridiculousness since the start. And like, none of this feels super out of pocket. Um, yeah like i agree even, i don't know like roberto is a good guy to have at the reins like he really knows what's going on and like i don't think anything on riverdale is like you know i've been rewatching glee recently and i don't think it's like anything is weirder than glee mm -hmm. i think there's a really weird reservation that people have towards it because it is like archie specifically mm. and like because it's the archie comics um but also like I think I've tweeted this about a hundred times. Like there is a Riverdale episode for everyone. Exactly. Like if you have your favorite movie is in Riverdale and you will like the Riverdale episode of it. And I think like if people opened their minds a little bit, they'd really get that. Yeah. And like they cover every single topic that you could ever cover mm -hmm. in anything. Like they like have like, from, like, extremely, like, serious, like, political, like, land back mm -hmm. and, like, shit yeah. like that to, like, literally, like, the most, like, silly, goofy, like, random, like, shit. Like, they will literally, they literally have, like, the full scale of, like, human emotion and, like, the full range of topics that are covered in Riverdale. So it's not like they're not gonna have your niche in it, you know? 
Yeah, and like I also like for the most part, I think they handle most of those topics pretty well. Um, like I think some of them are slipperier than others, but like this season has like a huge thing where like Archie becomes a labor organizer and they're like actually workers are like ontologically good in like the scale of things and like bosses are not and unions are really important and like they they literally sing like bread and roses at one point and like it's a more honest discussion of unions that I've seen on like most TV ever um and like what it means to be like a construction worker like working class and stuff and like it's silly but like they do it pretty well they like handled like veteran PS PTSD pretty well and like they definitely handle like discussions of like bisexual erasure pretty well they like yeah and also I think um what is interesting about like people who are hesitant to get into Riverdale is I hear a lot of people who say like season one is the season that like makes or breaks it for them where like people are like oh season one I liked but then the rest I thought was dumb or season one was boring and I only started liking it once it started getting unhinged but I really think that like if you're gonna judge Riverdale based off of like their like like first like few episodes like that's like not a good basis because like I feel like there's like based off the sheer amount of things that happen throughout the series, they are, like, just trying to establish as much as they can at the beginning, and, like, mm-hmm. there's, like, so much to establish that, like, yeah, I don't, like, want to be that person that's, like, I promise it gets better, but, like, if you just, like, stick through, like, the first three episodes or whatever, like, it gets to be really entertaining, and, yeah. like, it like in the whole time you just have to keep in mind that like you are not watching this because you're trying to like consume like high quality cinema or anything like you're just here to like have an entertaining fun time and it's like so much like more fun to watch if you like don't take it seriously yeah I think I think it's like very important to remember that like Riverdale is like intentionally like it is it is a soap opera like that formally is what it is and like it is, you know, structured like a soap opera, it is written like a soap opera, and it is a very thoughtful soap opera. Like, it is not, it's very fun and enjoyable and soapy and, like, melodramatic in, like, the formal sense, but, like, it is thinking about what it means to be that mm-hmm. thing constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the... I think, like, it's also... Oh, you go first. I was just gonna say, I think the sticking point really is getting people to engage with Riverdale as it is, because there's always... I, I feel like part of it is because it's such an expansive show and there's so much going on in it. People are like, what is it? <laughs> you know? And, and, yeah. and I think people's knee-jerk reaction is, okay, it's a CW show, so it's like Buffy or it's like Supernatural or it's like, you know, and, and True Blood or anything in this kind of um, extensive canon of, of, of these sort of uh, uh, teen drama-y shows. Uh, but it, 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 it's a very unique um kind of piece of media and i think if you look at a lot of today's tv shows i think people are more willing than ever kind of generally to accept the notion that uh shows are made with like broader structures in mind and you have to like slog through Mm -hmm. a season or so uh to get into the fun and games of it uh and i think um riverdale you know people struggle to take riverdale seriously uh or to um properly categorize it in their minds i think and i think that's really what the barrier is 
Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of people are like, to me, like, why, like, when people ask me, like, what is your favorite show, like, my actual favorite show, like, I guess is Twin Peaks, but, like, if people are, like, asking me, like, what are you actively watching, what is your favorite thing that you're watching right now, I will honestly say Riverdale, and people will always be like, what, Riverdale, that's so silly, that show's horrible, and I'm like, I'm not watching Riverdale because it's good, like, not everything has to be, like, good like it just sometimes like you can just watch something because it's fun to watch and I wrote like a really big essay about this in one of my film classes where like um like like people were like what is art you know like art like if art has to be like good in order for it to be qualified as art like then that could literally mean that everything and nothing is art because how do you define good so like I think that like Riverdale like isn't isn't even like a bad show because like even though like from like a technical standpoint they like there's like obviously lots of flaws like I still consider Riverdale to be a good show because it gets the job done it's entertaining i watch i am fully invested and engaged every time i watch it and what more how else would you make a good show if you're not completely engaged in it like that i would define that as good yeah i will also say like i you know i find riverdale like enjoyable and fun but i also like do think it is like formally a good show like that is something i've said for a while like I think narratively it's sound. I think it has a really good grasp of like television as a medium in a way that like, you know, we have so many shows now that are like long movies, which like, I don't dislike those, but those are kind of, I don't know. I grew up watching a lot of like Mary Tyler Moore and like, you know, like older TV and stuff. And I think like Riverdale really understands like the point of television and like how an episode should function, how a season should function with episodes in it. And I think like, it's really fun to watch. I think they get really good perform, like they get really good camp performances out of the actors. Like I, I don't like when people say like the acting is bad because I don't think it is. Like I think it's very camp and like they have a really solid aesthetic and like they know how to turn. You know, they they have like a really solid grasp of like the Archie comics and how to bring those into things in ways that'll be fun and like fit the plot. And like I think like it is formally a good show. It is a good soap. And it is like a show that cares about television as a medium in a way that very few things do. Yeah, I agree with the medium. You got to think about the the classic uh, Roger Ebert maxim about what are they trying to accomplish and do they accomplish it? And how well do they accomplish it? And I think... Exactly. What, and, you know, what I see in Riverdale, again, having not watched it, is um, a, you know, a, an attempt to deconstruct Archie and what Archie means and to sort of deconstruct, uh, to, to sort of uh, send up uh, a lot of these different sort of horror and, and, and teen drama and film generally and, new queer, and you know, queer canon uh, influences, just all these things sort of brought together. Uh, and I think, as far as I'm concerned, it really does succeed through that lens of camp which i think as much as people like to laud camp today uh they struggle to recognize it you know (laughs) yeah i think people love to talk about camp they struggle to recognize it and they actually hate it when they see it yeah 
It's true. Like, people don't know what camp is. Like, people will be like, oh, my God, that's so camp when they see, like, something that's, like, flashy or, like, like dorky. But, like, camp is, like, very, like, intentional, you know? Like, I think a lot of people confuse kitsch and camp. Mm-hmm. Or, like, in my, like, opinion, kitsch is, like, an unintentional version of camp, while camp is, like, very much, like it's trying to be like this, you know? And so yeah. I think, like, when people, like, see, like, things like Riverdale, they're like, that's so cringe. I'm like, yeah, but, like, that's, like, what they're tr- going for. Like, I also, and they're succeeding in it, obviously. I also think that there is kind of a weird relationship between camp and television. They're, they're like... Yes. And camp and, and the CW, even. But I think that people... I think people reflect on the history of television and a, I think there's always been this complex of TV of like, it's just now getting good. Um, that, that definitely, that definitely still exists today. But, um, you know, I think people look back at like the sitcoms of the past and sort of, you know, in order to, in order to sort of justify that complex or for a variety of reasons, they sort of, look at it as dated and and uh embarrassing right off the bat and people i think are so blinded by that that for instance they're not willing to you know they look at the 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 adam west batman show for instance which is so obviously a comedy so obviously intentionally done and are like can you believe people took this seriously uh and so yeah. I, I i think that throughout the history of television a lot of great shows maybe even most have had that awareness of a uh, camp in americana and um you know taking these sort of uh broad elements and kind of redefining them and i think when it comes to riverdale again people see it through the lens of like these this canon of cw dramas that are very heightened and uh sort of you know have plots that go off the wall um but i i i think and i think in in many cases are sort of angling towards camp in a way but either are are themselves not willing to admit it or fans are not willing to admit it yeah and like yeah not to like put on my um you know like queer studies hat again um but like I think, you know, when people think about the CW, I think there's, like, a couple shows that they think of as, like, the biggest ones, and I think Supernatural is a really big one, and, like, Mm -hmm. Supernatural is something that, like, has gotten reappropriated as camp, like, that it it is a very earnest TV show that has gotten reappropriated as camp by, like, queer audiences um, in the last couple years. It's kitsch, yeah, it's, like, Mm -hmm. kitsch that's gotten taken in, and, like, kind of... I don't know if like reclaimed is the right word, but like reappropriated in certain ways. And like Riverdale itself is like this kind of act of like reappropriation where like, you know, we talked about the longevity of Archie and like Archie is like historically this, like the image of like the white American teen, like just because he's been around so long. Like when you think about like teens in America, like Archie is one of those figures and like to have a show where you are taking like this kitschy object because i think like the original archie comics are very kitschy in retrospect now and like part of this like 60s Mm. aesthetic you're taking this kitsch object and you're like okay so what if we have like this example of like white american manhood and boyhood and like teenageness and like what if like he was kissing men and like doing these musical numbers and like what if like betty and veronica kissed you know that's something that like queer people have been talking about forever like there's like you know plenty of like new queer cinema stuff playing on this image of Betty and Veronica kissing and stuff and like Riverdale's actually doing it and camping it and like 
taking this thing and making it new in a way that's really cool and I think gets overlooked because people are just like it's weird to have Archie be like a real person and like I think it's a really interesting project that is doing it really interesting and important things and like in a very fun camp way yeah and that's why it makes me annoyed when people like try and take it so seriously like as like haters of Riverdale because they're just like I just think it's like a bad show like I like think like the writing is bad and like xyz and I'm like okay but like it's like supposed to be ridiculous like no one is watching Riverdale expecting there to be like a sincere like I'm watching this genuinely because of like the same way someone would watch like Breaking Bad you know like it like you're so it's supposed to be like that like the writing is supposed to be ridiculous and like absurd and that's what like makes it like a show that is even appealing to begin with because if it was just another cw drama then it would just go back to being like supernatural where it would like be be like kitsch and like then reappropriate to be gay or like camp or whatever but like this is actually like what fans are trying to turn most medias into when mm-hmm. people are rejecting it so i think it's also i think it's ridiculousness is really important because it actually allows for a pretty large degree of sincerity in the show um <laughs> like i don't know maybe i have like a disease or something but like i do find myself <laughs> legitimately moved by riverdale a lot of the time because like these characters are ridiculous but like they're characters that they do a really good job of like establishing and endearing you to and like you know, we talked about how they tackle those issues and like they're partly able to tackle those issues because you don't expect a show like Riverdale mm-hmm. to go into them. And like they it lets them talk about those things in like a very approachable way that like I think is good for like the teen audiences. And like I don't think Riverdale actually has a teen audience now, but like for like the actual audiences who are watching it, like the ridiculousness kind of like um, facilitates like the discussions that they do have on the show yeah like for example like i always like to think about one of the more recenter episodes um when um the actor who played archie's dad died in real life yeah they didn't want to just like write him out of the show like or just like pretend that nothing happened and so they had him like actually die on the show and like had like a few episodes like dedicated to like this character that was like a very beloved like character in the town and like um a lot of and they were very like sincere and very serious and they kind of like broke away from like the ridiculousness of like the like most of their plot lines and like kind of like took a few episodes to like be actually like respectful and like honoring that actor who died and I think that was like so cool that they actually did that because I was like so many people like treat Riverdale like it's just like this like silly like thoughtless like show but like you can tell there's actual like thought put into it and like that's just like a great like example of like the writers actually do give a shit you know and just because like they write like silly goofy things doesn't mean that they don't actually care yeah Yeah. i'm i'm really glad you brought up that episode because like when i watched that episode for the first time i was like kind of in the middle of like dealing with some like you know problem like feelings of grief in like my own life and like that i think is one of like that arc is kind of one of the 
best representations of grieving that I think I've seen on TV. Like, I mean that very seriously. And like, part of that is like, because like these people are actually grieving for someone that they did love in real life and like care about very deeply. But like, I think it's a really well done arc, like you're saying. And I think it's really, it's, it was an important way that they gave those actors that space to grieve. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, I like I think if anyone's gonna watch Riverdale I think they should watch that at least like I think it's a really really good episode um very yeah moving. at home here I I definitely I'm still thinking about the like engagement gap film and television I don't really know if I have an answer yet on why that is <laughs> but I think of the Josie and the Pussycats movie the James Gunn Scooby-Doo movies and how they were uh, similarly kind of derided at the time and uh, have come to be recognized as, you know, in intentional uh, camp objects. Um, in retrospect, today is definitely a moment where they're critical in industry engagement with, you know, TV is taken more seriously now than ever before. Uh, it hasn't so much extended to Riverdale, but I think... <laughs> It's a situation where, you know, a decade down the road, people are, are reassessing Riverdale. Do you think, do you think Riverdale will uh, have the upper hand in the end? I hope. I think so. I, I, think there's pl I think there's a lot of shows that have been misread and, like, or gotten, like, gotten revisited. Like, there's been, you know, a big revival of Twin Peaks interest after, like, people were really into it and then people kind of discarded it. And, like, I, I have to hope that there's room to reevaluate it because otherwise I don't know where our like critical thought is going, frankly. Yeah. I think it's possible. <laughs> I think like because like even like within Supernatural, like I know so many mm -hmm. people who watch Supernatural when they were like super hulaks on Tumblr, then never finished the series. But then once Supernatural was like this is our last episode, a lot of people were like, let's look back on Supernatural and see like how far we've come and let's think about supernatural critically now that we're like adults and i think that like yeah. like even though riverdale is only like set to go for one more season like i think that like people who like grew up watching riverdale like not grew up as only they were kids but like people who like had like formative moments with riverdale like the way we did um and then like later down the line are definitely going to want to revisit it. And I think that, like, there's going to, like, the, like, um, the fan base that it has right now of, like, people who are, like, quote-unquote ironic enjoyers or, like, enjoyers, like, in the way we're enjoyers, where, like, we understand it in, like, a the way it's supposed to be understood. Like, I think that if, if we at least don't revisit it, like, that mm -hmm. will also, like there will also be another revisitation to some way. I don't know. I, like, can't yeah. imagine Riverdale, like, not having any kind of cultural impact beyond its current years. Yeah. I will also say very quickly, I think, aside from, like, the general uh, kind of pop culture thing, there's some really interesting stuff happening um, in, like, media studies right now around fan studies. Um, like, someone, uh, this academic Michael Lutz is currently working on a really long project around Homestuck and like forum culture and like Homestuck as like a piece of work. And like, I think, I think there's room for like actual critical thought around Riverdale in a very exciting way. And I think media studies is going in a really exciting place that allows for things like that. Yeah. Cause I got my degree in media studies and I like, 
have like written like I like I actually did like write essays about Riverdale in my like for my degree. And I think that like in the show was not even like remotely close to over by the time I was writing these essays. And so I think that like there is so much critical analysis that you can do with Riverdale that like it's just like an untapped like resource of like endless analyses and I think that like people are definitely going to recognize that sooner or later you know mm-hmm. yeah I think there's a um there's a there's a barrier now where uh it's a show that um you know deals with uncomfortable topics in a way that I think causes a lot of younger people to uh, to to have an ex- instinctive reaction, and I think you know internet circles have sort of sort of fostered this notion of if a show makes you uncomfortable, the show is bad. Um, <laughs> and so, I think it, it it is going to take time because of that barrier, which has always existed in a certain form. But um, I definitely think that. Looking at the 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 critical engagement and the volume of, I mean, we have, you know, the two of you, uh, having having written so so uh, thoughtfully about it and and doing this podcast uh, as part of the canon as well. But I think that, uh, yeah, I I think that you know Riverdale is so rich clearly and uh, is is being engaged with on this level where you know if as 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 it's kept up and you know even after it ends like you said i don't think that's going to be the the end of the imprint there i definitely think that in the long run it'll be remembered fondly even though a lot of people's instinctive reaction to it whether it's because it's archie or because it's a cw drama or because it touches on these uncomfortable topics uh the, the people have this this knee-jerk negative reaction i don't think that is going to be its legacy yeah Thank you guys so much for joining Thank me. Thank you. I was very happy to get to Thank share about us. this. On this illuminating episode of Pulp Friction. And thank you to everyone who has been listening. Uh, I hope that uh, it's been enlightening for you. And if you haven't checked out Riverdale, like me, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, we recommend. <laughs> Highly recommend. Rocky, do you think you're gonna check out Riverdale now? Like I, after this discussion? I had planned to, but maybe sooner than I than I expected <laughs> to. Yeah, it might it might be next up. <laughs> yeah, definitely have to keep us updated on your progress. Please. I definitely will. Uh if you like the show, you can support it by subscribing on Substack, following on wherever you're listening to it, uh, and uh, sharing it with your friends, letting people know you like the show. That's one of the best things you can do. And I will see y'all next week. Bye. Bye. I disagree. I disagree, Gary.